0: You're listening to Oh No Lick Class.
1: Mostly dead authors. Fresh takes.
0: Ruining required reading, one book at a time. Welcome to Ono Lit Class, the podcast that says, well, if you like engaging with the literature so much, why don't you marry it? I'm Megan. I'm RJ. And we got that post-Halloween hangover going on as we we move into winter, I guess. There are no seasons in Florida. It's just hot and then hot and also wet. Uh, Before we get started, we have a couple of quick announcements. So we'll have this episode, we'll have our usual second episode of a, of the month later um and then we're gonna have one episode at the beginning of december and then we're gonna be done till some point in january that i'm going to splice in later because i don't know yet
1: she's a quitter
0: we tired we tired i don't yeah we're gonna be traveling i don't you're going to be traveling i don't yo oh, you're not coming with me
1: nope. <laughs> way to dock yourself Now they're going to be looking for you. Yeah, they're going to be looking.
0: Yep, on every plane. That's going to be our um, winter break. But there will still be bonus content on the Patreon in the meantime, and we might release a uh, study break or two that was previously only on Patreon to uh, you, the common listener, and... Our December episode will be a not-quite-fiftieth-episode special, and it's going to be a Q&A spectacular. That's a, yeah, spectacular, sure.
1: It's going to be a spooktacular.
0: It could be, I guess, depending on what kind of questions people send in. And so you have until December 1st to send us all of whatever weird... Terrible, strange, hopefully literature adjacent questions that you want us to answer. Uh, and you could send those to onolickclass at gmail.com. So please send us things. Ask RJ for financial advice. Ask him for life advice. Ask him what to, to name your kid.
1: But in this time of tumult, everyone could use some advice.
0: So ask us and we'll give that to you. The second thing we got to get to before we get started with today's episode, which is on Little Women as voted by our patrons, we need to address something that happened in the previous episode that was brought to my attention by one of our listeners.
1: No. Count Jacula?
0: No. Okay, we're never going to address Count Jacula ever again.
1: All right. Uh,
0: just assume he's always in the room with us.
1: Oh, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> um, I'm Count Jacula.
0: No, we, d- we said we're not uh, adjust- uh, we're not uh Gross. No, no. The issue is the uh, fact uh, you can't keep me from it. The issue is the fact that so I didn't read a Rose for Emily. Em- I didn't. I didn't read <laughs> a Rose for Emily either. <laughs> I didn't read a uh, Rose for Emily which I said in the episode, RJ was in the driver's seat for that one. So, you know, I took him at his word, which I should have known better than to do. And when uh, you mentioned about how to cleanse the, the corpse smell, the townspeople go around planting limes and sprinkling limes. And I was uh, I was a little confused and I was like, limes the f- and you assured me yes, absolutely. In fact, you even said they're just walking around squirting citrus. Those were your words. And I went, well, that seems strange, but William Faulkner's a weird dude and this is a weird story. So, okay, but no. No, they were not doing limes with fruit. They were doing lime, like crumbled limestone, which is often sprinkled to hide the smell of of corpses it's
1: open interpretation
0: no it is not he <laughs> uses
1: the word lime l-i-m-e now it means multiple things
0: did he ever use it plural
1: the word means multiple things no, yeah no you can walk around did he say, li- did he
0: say limes
1: ever around.
0: did there limes in the text or was it always just lime they went around her house and they sprinkled lime
1: yeah the little green rock like uh fruit day you could sprinkle it around shake 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 this is my fault
0: for they making margaritas checking you
1: see what you do is you want the corpse raw for a bit the rain water then you know kind of pushes some of it away and then you and rim the body up. with salt and the wine <laughs> and then boom i call it a bronte
0: to doom that's what you gotta go back to weathering heights for that joke i think
1: yeah they drink their brother juice
0: they did drink their brother juice all right Maybe they
1: wish they had some limes.
0: Probably. And some lime. Because they all kept dying.
1: Put the lime (laughs) in the coconut. Not the limes. Put the lime in the coconut. Because it's green. It's delicious. Because
0: you're putting one lime in one coconut. They threw a single lime at the side of her house and went problem solved.
1: No, one lime at a time.
0: Just say you were wrong.
1: Open interpretation. You taught this to students. You have students running around
0: now who are going to repeat this information and look real dumb.
1: I mean, do you want to do this here that I <laughs> purposely taught wrongful information to students for a long time? Because I think it's really funny. That's that, true.
0: That's the thing you did. That
1: we teach them one wrong, random, completely unnecessary fact in life.
0: You're molding the future.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, God.
0: And, and speaking of future, we're going to talk about... The future? No, we're going to talk about some girls who grow up to become some little women. Some tiny female, some very, very small ladies. Ever, ever so tiny. Yep. Some lilliputive ladies. We're doing Little Woman by Louisa May Alcott, who is another author whose grave we've been at, which just makes us sound like a bunch of fucking ghouls just wandering from one author's grave to the next.
1: I checked a line.
0: No, you didn't. Yeah,
1: right from Key West. There was
0: actually someone had left a copy of Little Women at the grave. It was very affecting.
1: They wanted an autograph.
0: They were just a little too late. Little Women is a, a landmark novel.
1: Like Plymouth Rock?
0: Yes, like Plymouth Rock. It's... Uh, It was very important because nothing kind of like it existed beforehand. Like, this was the post-Civil War era, and they were like, We need a book for girls! Louisa May Alcott, go do that! And she's like, "All right," and she did, and it was a huge success, and it has had, like, just an incredible amount of staying power, that it remains highly relatable to girls, I guess. And so it's just sort of one of those enduring kind of works of fiction. It's a buildings Roman, that thing that we taught people like two years ago.
1: Yep, building Roman. <laughs>
0: building those Romans uh, as we watch these girls blossom into adulthood. But before we can get to the little women, we have to get to the woman, the, the little woman who wrote them. I actually have no idea how tall Louisa May Alcott might have been. Is there a way we can look that up real quick? may never know. No, I'm going to Google this real quick. I want to know if she was a little woman.
1: Right in your pocket.
0: (laughs) Does not say.
1: Ah, five foot nine. Oh,
0: there you go. You found it. Taller than your ass. Uh, Hell yeah, yeah. So, not a little woman, a average to slightly above average height woman. Louisa May Alcott.
1: Louisa May Alcott, born November 29th, 1832, and died March 6th, 1888. She was born in Germantown, Pennsylvania. Germantown, for those who don't know, is known as the city of brotherly love. Brotherly.
0: Brotherly love. Brotherly love. I thought that was Philadelphia.
1: Because it's now part of Philadelphia. Ah. A city with a monument that celebrates a fictional character, Rocky Balboa, the Italian stallion.
0: We were hurting for details, huh?
1: (laughs) As for Louie, she was born to Amos Bronson Alcott and Abby May.
0: Amos Bronson Alcott's a pretty baller name.
1: Louie was born on her dad's 33rd birthday. Birthday, twins. Way to ring in another shitty year of life. One year closer to dying, and here's another mouth you have to feed for at least 18 years. Way to go, Famous Amos. Fuck. Happy birthday.
0: When did we become the anti-child podcast? When did this happen?
1: Louie was the second of four daughters the couple would have. Louie wouldn't spend much time in Philly as the family moved to Boston in 1834 when she was two years young. Dad Louis was a transcendentalist educator. So he moved his family to Boston to open up an experimental school and start up a club, both of which focused on transcendentalism. Which, if you'll remember, means weird hippies. I bet you can't possibly guess who Dad Louie did this in conjunction with in the eighteen thirties, in Boston.
0: Other weird transcendentalist hippies of the time who were also potentially Ono Lit class alums.
1: <laughs> Ralph Waldo Emerson and Henry David Thoreau. Joined at the hip those two. And, oh, and, and
0: and Ono lit class alum Nathaniel Hawthorne.
1: Well, they didn't open the school with him. Well, but he, he was, was there. He was
0: there in her. In well, her we're life. gonna get to him. Okay, fine.
1: I'm talking about who they opened the school with.
0: Okay, fine. They opened the school with the two godfathers of hippy dippy nature nonsense.
1: Well, I'm making sure I get my facts right. Emerson and Thoreau. people questioning about lime? This whole endeavor was a bit of a buzzkill, though. After all, transcendentalists were big on individuals achieving perfection and just generally being all tough and bootstrappy. So it's not much of a surprise that Louis's childhood was not all that easy. And then, given the fact that Louis failed at being a breadwinner, it made him all glum and a failure in his own eyes, which he took out on his wife and daughters like any sane husband and father does. Not...
0: So much good parenting in these biographies.
1: Due to Dad Louie's failures, the family was forced to move a few times before eventually deciding to settle in to what was named by Daddy Louie, the Utopian Fruitlands Community. What? So this was a project created in part by Daddy Louie. The community was based on farming and being self-sustainable, as a good transcendentalist want to do. Every morning, every member would purge themselves by taking a cold shower.
0: That is not what I would think purge themselves would mean, but I'm glad that it's that.
1: The diet was strictly vegan, so no animal products. They were also not allowed stimulants, so coffee and tea were off the table. I'm out. Oh, and cotton was not allowed to be worn, as that may have come from slave labor. And wool wasn't allowed, since it came from sheep.
0: Okay, but no, those are- that's two very different- The sheep don't mind. (laughs) The wool is a good sustainable thing.
1: It comes from animals.
0: But it's good for the sheep because otherwise they get all like loaded down. No wool. Well, that was stupid. The the boycotting cotton I could get behind for that reasoning. The boycotting wool is dumb.
1: So, in short, you had a community of people in Massachusetts attempting to make a living by farming in the middle of winter without the use of animal labor while only being able to wear clothes made of linen, eating only fruits and vegetables, not having any coffee or tea to keep warm, and being forced to take a cold shower every morning.
0: This sounds like a recipe for success.
1: It was. (laughs) This experiment lasted seven months before collapsing.
0: Honestly, that's longer than I would have given it.
1: This brings us to this week's installment of Financing with RJ, <laughs> cult edition. <laughs> now, cults have existed for a long time. These transcendentalists were not doing anything novel. And I mean, I guess it makes some financial sense, right? One paycheck, one person's output only goes so far. Two people's goes further, but three, four, 10, 20 or more? It goes all that much further.
0: Get Nathaniel Hawthorne shoveling your poop pill for you.
1: <laughs> and like-minded people like spending their time, money, and energy on similar things. So on the surface, yeah, it makes logical sense. In practice, however, shit don't work. I mean, at least I haven't come across a cult that made me take a step back and look at it and go, yeah, you know what? That's the trick.
0: What you were describing just a few seconds ago was a commune. A, a cult needs to have a, a, a leader or a figurehead or a weird and upsetting doctrine.
1: Until now. Which
0: I'm sure we're about to get.
1: You see, the cult of RJ is alive and well. Oh, God. It's healthy. It's no, good it's for not. your mind, no. soul, and most importantly, your wallet. It is none of those things. Unlike these other cults, I won't ask you to drink any Kool-Aid or good. let me uh, have sex with your significant other. Don't let him do that. You don't need to take cold showers, unless you're into that kind of thing. That's fine. Even though it does save on the heating bill. This is true. And you could eat as much or as little of whatever you like. Okay, cool. To join the cult of RJ, all you need to do is to remember. Oh, no. Make any necessary spending. Obviate non-essentials. Make any necessary Necessary spending. spending. Okay, and then obviate Obviate your
0: non-essentials. M-A. That is Manson.
1: (laughs) N-S-O-N. Now, do what you must. Avoid what you don't must. P.S. Kool-Aid is never a must.
0: Yeah, no. Brings down any party.
1: And that does it for this week's special cult edition of Financing with RJ. (laughs) Remember, always love yourself, love each other, but most importantly, love the feeling of money in your pocket. Anyway, back to Louie and fam. After Dad drove Utopian Fruitlands into the ground, the family did the most transcendentalist thing they could. They got money from Emerson and bought a house in Concord, Massachusetts.
0: (laughs) You just, but yes, that's it. There's nothing more transcendentalist than hitting up Ralph Waldo Emerson for cash.
1: (laughs) They lived there until Nathaniel Hawthorne bought it from them about a decade later.
0: He got tired of shoveling the poop hill and wanted a fucking house transcendentalism i swear we're gonna do that episode one day i swear
1: it's white liberalism <laughs> 1800 style <laughs> very poisonous it is
0: it's not great there were some good poems though
1: <laughs> louis fam not being big on the uh, whole state-run education uh louis received a lot of her education at the hands of family and friends so her father and all his faults made up main education however she also received a number of lessons from emerson thoreau and hawthorne in particular she enjoyed thoreau which is why she wrote the book thoreau's flute you know about his dick no or supposedly (laughs) about the time she spent at walden pond potato pandano.
0: thoreau was as gay as the day is long as his flute (laughs) potentially And, and also thoreau was the only one of them who was fun he was the fun one. I yeah. wouldn't want to hang out with any of the other ones.
1: Given that her dad struggled making money, Louis had to earn her keep. You see, he failed at basically everything he did. So Louis worked as a teacher, seamstress, governess, maid, and she still found the time to write here and there. Damn. Only the youngest of the four sisters was able to enjoy an actual childhood. Looking back at her childhood, Louis wrote, quote, I wish I was rich, I wish I was good, and we were all a happy family. In the 1840s, family became involved in the Underground Railroad. Nice. Hipsters.
0: What? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, they were into that railroad back when it was still underground.
1: They would house fugitive slaves on their way up to Canada. The family's work as part of the Underground Railroad brought Louis to have several conversations with Frederick Douglass. Louis specifically, in the 1850s, became very interested in the woman's suffrage movement and actually was the first woman to register to vote in Concord, Massachusetts. Hell Yeah. Work was not any easier to come by as the years wore on. In 1857, when she was 25, Louis wrote a biography of Charlotte Bronte. The next year, the youngest sister of the quadrilogy died, and the eldest sister married some chad named John Pratt.
0: This is all going to sound really familiar soon.
1: Louis wrote that the sisterhood was falling apart. She no longer had anyone to share the magic pants with, or so it (laughs) felt like. At 28 in 1860, Louie's writing became a much more serious endeavor. She began to write for the Atlantic Monthly. After the Civil War broke out, she began to serve as a nurse, but contracted typhoid within a month of her nursing duties beginning. She recovered, but that was the end of nursing. What she did do, however, is write about the problems she saw within the hospital system. If you've ever read Upton Sinclair's The Jungle, it's like that, but about hospitals.
0: I didn't know that was a thing. That's cool.
1: These kinds of journalistic writings gave way to very sensational, fiery, and passionate novels, which she wrote under the pen name A.M. Barnard. Those stories gave way to children's stories. Once she became successful with those, she never really went back to writing specifically for adults. She was 36 when she wrote the first part of Little Women, the second part following a year later, under the name Good Wives, when published separately.
0: Although I would like to point out, she did not pick Good Wives. That was her publisher. And I have <laughs> uh, potential improvements there that I think she ought to have gone with instead if they'd let her pick. Little Women 2, Women Harder. Too Little, Too Women. Or Little Women 2, The Little Women Strike Back. But nah, they, in the UK was released as Good Wives.
1: She wrote the EU over the next few years. The Little Women-verse. It took almost a decade before the March Family Saga was completed. Little Women and the books in the saga were a big hit at the time. Critics said in part that the books were, quote, the very best books to reach the hearts of the young of any age from 6 to 60. Any age.
0: Wait, that's, this is very confusing. To reach the young. Yeah, that's the quote, of though. Of any age
1: from 6 to 60. Yeah, the very best books to reach the hearts of the young of any age from 6 to 60. So you're young if you're 6, you're young if you're 60.
0: And you're any age.
1: Well, I think uh, you don't move past 60. This is
0: very confusing.
1: Okay. It was the 1800s. They were all transcendentalists. <laughs> as we'll see in the summary, the books were semi-autobiographical. Yes. With Louie fashioning the character of Joe after herself,
0: which is probably why Joe is the best character.
1: The novels also were lauded for capturing a fresh and natural representation of daily life. Louie was a reserved person, and so she shied away from stardom. When fans visited her house, which was a normal thing for fans to do in the 1800s, as I now know from watching the movie Colette starring Kiera Knightley. Which you should see. You should. It's a very sexy movie. Louie would make believe she was a servant in the house.
0: Oh my gosh!
1: Yeah, that's a good move.
0: <laughs> but like, not. I mean, that, that would be a good move if you were like trolling, but like that she was just that shy that she couldn't deal.
1: But yeah, <laughs> as we have recently learned... Like in the 1800s, if you were a fan of the book, you could just show up at the author's house and you would be let in and you could meet the author and get like your book autographed.
0: You'd just be like, sup dude, dug that book. And they'd be like, dope man, let's let's go out, let's hang out, let's maybe have sex later.
1: Don't work that way no more.
0: No, probably with good reason.
1: Yeah, you don't want to hunt down Essie Hinton, give her a piece of your mind? Oh my
0: god, no, no I don't.
1: <laughs> Louis wrote the final book of the March Family Saga only a few years before her death. She suffered with numerous health problems later in life, specifically vertigo, and what biographers believe was mercury poisoning. You see, back in the day when someone came down with typhoid, which Louie got during her time as a nurse, they treated it with mercury-containing compounds. As one does!
0: Oops! Oops, all mercury.
1: But it could have also been lupus, which would explain the rashes she had. So who knows? Maybe it was everything. Louie's buried at Sleepy Hollow Cemetery in Concord, Massachusetts. Not only has she... And the cemetery has been graced with the presence of one Megan and RJ. But she's buried with some big names. Yes, Emerson and Thoreau were there, are there. As well as Hawthorne. Yep. Daniel French, the guy who sculpted the Lincoln Memorial. Ephraim Bull, the creator of the Concord Grape. And Elizabeth Peabody, the lady who came up with the idea of kindergarten for kids. No word on any Ichabods or headless horsemen.
0: Well, no, that would be wrong Wrong state.
1: Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, that, one, that one's in
0: New York. End. The one thing you didn't mention was that in 1880, uh, the first Little Women and Good Wives were packaged together and combined and published under the singular title of Little Women, and that's how it is today. Like, when you buy Little Women, you're getting both of those. You're getting what was considered the first one and the sequel as one book.
1: Well, I think it was only printed separately in the old UK. Ah. Well, it came out the next year, but then they, in the U.S., just began publishing them together. Mm-hmm as in the UK, they always kept it as two separate books.
0: All right. So yeah, no, this was, uh, like I said, this was like kind of the, the quintessential book for girls. I never read it before now. This was my first time reading this book. I was never assigned it. I never read it for funsies. I just sort of knew of it. RJ?
1: I was assigned it.
0: No fucking way. Yeah. You were assigned a book that I wasn't. Yep. Did you read it? Part. At what point in your schooling was this assigned to you? I
1: think uh, early in high school. I remember Joe.
0: Because <laughs> Joe's the best character. <laughs> I remember just
1: thinking, J-O, what a name. Joe. Great. Jack off.
0: Okay. So clearly you it really spoke to you as a uh, pubescent male. My
1: ovary swell. <laughs> so did my mammaries.
0: <laughs> just everything. You probably should have gotten that checked out. Um, I
1: did. They gave me mercury. <laughs>
0: Hey guys, Megan here. How, how are you doing? You doing okay? Y- you hanging in? Yeah, you're all right. If you're not, that sucks, but you know, it's cool. It happens. I'm very tired and I have a very big bump on my forehead that's kind of freaking me out because I don't know where it came from because I didn't bump my head and I don't want to Google it because you know that first WebMD hit is going to be like, you have the forehead cancer. Oops. If you made it to the end of this article, you're already dead. So I'm gonna do the millennial thing and ignore it and hope it doesn't become a problem. Because going to a doctor is expensive and also it's just a bump on my head and I probably need to chill the fuck out. But you know who I refuse to chill the fuck out about? Yeah, that's right. It's our patrons. All forty-four of them. Yep, still waiting on six. That's how many more people gotta hop on board the Ono oh Lit Class train? So that way you don't have to listen to me tell you about Anne, Ariel at Ariel Teague, or Katie, Tanner, Aaron, Janet, Lonnie at Lanyon Dirk Dammit at Killing You Guy, E.S., Natalie, Kate D., Matthew, your boy Chips Ahoy, Caitlin, Harriet, Jared. Lanekin's forty, Kendall, Morgan, Cheryl, Karen, Pseudo Bread, Wendy, Sam, Amy B, Jen, Brett, Mads, Sarah R, Amy W, Samario, Camilla, Aries, Lucas, Brandon, Not Alone Podcast at Not Alone Pod, Caitlin at Rose Phantom. A- another Mads. There are two Mads. There's ma- there's a Mads M and a Mads R. How the hell do we have two Mads? Neat. Florian, Sarah C., Ben, Alexander, Kiki, Chris, at Play Comics, and Barry. I think that was everybody. Unless something is terribly wrong because of my forehead lump. This week's pod pal is Novel Predictions, a podcast where... One of the hosts tries to guess the ending to a book that the other one has already read. Or basically what we do with RJ on every single episode. But when they do it, it is much funnier. And um, I'll let them tell you guys about it. Hi guys, I'm Kales. And I'm Allison. And we host Novel Predictions, a podcast where we laugh at ourselves and each other as one of us tries to predict the ending of a book the other has already read.
1: Essentially, one of us is torturing the other.
0: It's not torture, it's hilarious as we try and predict the story from some popular novels like
1: Aragon, Fault in Our Stars, and more. We read the beginning, we talk about the story, and we try not to give away how royally the newbie reader is screwing up the plot. So join us every other week for fun, ruthless reviews of popular novels. Subscribe and follow us on social media,
0: and we invite you to read and laugh along. As we torture each other. It's not torture, seriously.
1: Maybe a little. Okay, it's just a little. Thanks for listening, and keep making novel predictions. We really need a new outro.
0: But yeah, no, this was new to me, and we're gonna kind of talk about some of that stuff later, but for now, let's get started, because there were 40 to 7 chapters, and I might have condensed it a little.
1: Don't admit that.
0: (laughs) There's a lot going on, so let's start with these miniaturized ladies themselves. There are... Four March sisters in total. Just like there were uh, four Alcott sisters. Margaret, who goes by Meg and is the oldest at 16 and works as a governess, like an in-home teacher. She's pretty and she hates being poor and she lusts after rich people and also dad dick. And she's the mom sibling. Josephine, who goes by Joe and is 15 and is a rough and stubborn tomboy who gets called by their father as his son Joe. She's a writer with a fiery temper who always says what's on her mind. And then there's Elizabeth, who goes by Beth, who is 13 and is quiet and shy and likes music and cries a lot. Amy, who goes by Amy, she doesn't get a nickname, and she's 12 and Jesus Christ, mom had a rough four years popping out baby girls on the reg. Uh, so Amy's the baby and an artist and uh, apparently just generally considered the least likable according to fans. So I guess she's the one you don't want when you take like the what March sister are you quiz on BuzzFeed, which yes, is a thing. And also on Book Riot and also in The Guardian. This is a thing. Finally, Samantha, who goes by Sam and is 40 and the most sexually aggressive and definitely not one of the sex in the city women that I just threw in.
1: <laughs> she's 40. She ain't girl.
0: No, is she's Kim Cattrall on Sex of the City. I was doing a joke.
1: Sounds spicy
0: to me. She is. She's very spicy. Um, What's up, Sam? So the novel opens with Meg, Joe, Beth, and Amy gathered together on Christmas Eve, sad about being too poor for Christmas presents. And Beth reminds them that they should be grateful for having the most important gift of all the pants. Well, may, maybe the pants. Hair. Family. The family. Oh. <laughs> Vin Diesel's there too. <laughs> family.
1: Oh, Hannah.
0: That's a terrible stitch. Um, No, it's not. That's a little better.
1: Yes. Ohana. Ohana.
0: Except the other girls are like, no, idiot. Forget Ohana. Dad's fighting in the Civil War. Literally, right now. Shut up, Beth.
1: Fighting himself. He wasn't sure how he felt about the whole thing.
0: Just running back and forth across the battlefield trying to make a decision. Um,
1: Brother to brother. (laughs) Tell me, what are we fighting for? We've got to end this war. Yes. The the Civil War was exactly like
0: Pokemon, the first
1: movie. Brother to brother.
0: (laughs) Jesus Christ.
1: That's a heart-wrenching scene. It is. The two two Pikachus
0: are slapping each other and crying. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like the Civil War.
1: (laughs) I mean, I could do the song from uh, Epcot, and you know, like, Family is torn apart no. in half, or whatever. Yeah, they show the two do- brothers. And don't. they like, rip that photo in half.
0: <laughs> and they're like, The Confederate brother didn't come home. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh! Out <laughs> <What is> of <soccer? laughs> <laughs> So they want to buy presents for themselves anyway. Joe wants a book, Beth wants sheet music, Amy wants drawing pencils, and Meg wants more money because that used to be a thing they had before their dad pissed it away in some unspecified manner. Now she has to be a governess and Joe has to work as a companion to their elderly aunt and she hates it because old people are gross. She wants to be a man and fight in the army. And Beth is all like, hey, I, I do all the housework. That's got to count for something. And Amy's like, I go to school and it sucks and I hate it. And then they all start arguing with each other, as I assume teen sisters would. I, I don't know. We, neither of us have sisters. I, I, don't, I don't know how sisters do. Anyway, their bickering is broken up by remembering their mom, who they affectionately refer to as Marmy. No Cummy. <laughs> no, no, it's no Cummy, but Marmy. Marmy is apparently a pretty great mom. In fact, both Marsh parents are pretty great in like this vague, amorphous, sort of like wish-fulfillment kind of way. You know, the way someone would write about if they'd had shitty parents. But uh, anyway, just thinking about their dear sweet marmy gets the girls to stop bickering and decide to use their money to buy gifts for their mom instead. Say it with me.
1: They bought her a hair clip, but she'd already cut her hair.
0: Actually, (laughs) hang in and we'll see. And then old Marmels comes home with a letter from their father, who we learn is serving in the army as a chaplain, which I looked up because I never actually knew what that meant. And uh, it's basically just army priest. Yeah, I didn't know that. And now, now I know. And now you know. You being the listener, since apparently you knew already. Uh, anyway, he wrote them all a letter in which he sends them his love, tells them to work hard to conquer their faults and be good little women. Oh, And they all get emotional, and Meg's like, I'm gonna work harder, and Amy's like, I'm gonna be less selfish, and Joe's like, I'm gonna remember my place as a woman, and Beth's like, I'm gonna cry. And then she does. They wake up on Christmas morning to find that they did get presents after all! Cole. No, but comparable Bibles. (laughs)
1: They got salvation. That's the most important (laughs) gift of all, man.
0: Not only did they each get a Bible, their mother tells them that it's a guidebook for a great adventure. Being better people. Which starts with giving their Christmas breakfast away to a poor family called the Hummels. So yeah, they got chores for Christmas. Like, they helped a less fortunate family, and you know, that's good, obviously. But like, imagine you're a kid, and you wake up on Christmas morning, and you're like, I got a present after all! Thank you, Santa! And it's just a book telling you to be less of a dick, and then your mom makes you give your breakfast away. Oh, and the girls did chip in and get a basket of gifts for their mom, like they said they would, including some fancy perfume, and, like, she's very touched and probably also feeling sort of guilty about the whole Merry Christmas! Santa brought you a stocking full of religious charity work! Even the Chronicles and Narnia kids got off better. Like, at least Santa gave them cool swords and shit to fight the devil, or whatever. It's been a really long time since I read The Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe. I'm pretty sure that's what goes down.
1: I never read it.
0: Santa gives them swords, I think to fight the devil. So the little women, they, they put on a Christmas play for their friends that Joe wrote. But it's not as much about Christmas as it is about evil witches and curses and shit because Joe knows how to give the people what they want. Afterwards, they're called in for dinner and find a huge fancy feast waiting for them which marmalade says is from their rich neighbor Mr. Lawrence who saw them give their food away and wanted to reward their act of selflessness. Come on. Oh. Nope Nope, nope, wrong one.
1: Bah, 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 no.
0: I, do I got to cycle through all these? Pika Dude, That's definitely not it. I don't know what that is oh, and I'm yeah, not going to add. I don't know you know. Okay, I'm gonna keep moving. And everyone's happy until Beth brings down the mood by wishing their dad was there and not in war. Fucking Beth, man. Then Meg and Joe are invited to a New Year's party and Meg is excited but also worried because Joe is, as we've established, kind of a hot mess when it comes to not just conforming to proper gender norms but also polite society in general. And so the girls have to come up with a system of various facial gestures for Meg to indicate whether or not Joe is embarrassing herself. So anyway, at the party, Meg has fun and dances and Joe is awkward and hates everything and wants to go talk about boy things in a different room, but Meg won't let her. And so like many fine and enterprising, socially anxious partygoers, she hides behind a curtain because fuck this. Except.
1: Except the mente.
0: Except there's already a boy hiding there. It's Theodore Lawrence, the grandson of their rich old neighbor. And he also doesn't do parties. He also hates the name Theodore and asks that Joe call him Lori instead and I'm trying really hard right now not to read into this and project onto the girl who wants to be called Joe and is constantly getting yelled at for acting too much like a boy and the boy who just said he hates his name and wants to be called Lori, but Louisa May Alcott is making it very difficult. Anyway, the two hit it off, and Joe ends up having fun at the party after all. Aww.
1: Duh.
0: And now the holidays are over, and it's back to being poor and sad all the time. We learn more about the girls, like how Beth is literally too shy to go to school, really, and Amy is upset all the time because her nose isn't pointy enough, really. Also, they're all still very bummed about being poor, but Marmaduke tells them all a bunch of stories with morals, and everyone feels better, and ugh, I, I don't know how long I can keep this up. This is ve- this is the beginning of the novel. We st- there's so much to
1: go. <laughs> what happens in the life of four little... Women. By the way, it's women with a Y, not an E. No,
0: it's not. (laughs) Then Joe goes- They don't fucking
1: conform, eh?
0: Yes, they do. They do. We're gonna gonna fucking get there. Women
1: with a Y.
0: (laughs) Then Joe goes to Lori's house and hangs out with him while he's sick. He talks about how he watches her and her family through the windows of their house. But it's not creepy. Just really sad, because Lori's an orphan and adopted by his granddad when both his parents died. So he likes to watch four teenage girls through a window while he's all by himself. It's totally not weird.
1: He's never seen a window before.
0: <laughs> and Joe's like, you know, you could, you could actually come over and hang out. Like, that's an option instead of this weird rear window shit. And that makes Lori happy. Duh. Duh. And just when you thought it couldn't get any more wholesome, it does. Lori starts hanging out with the girls more and seems generally happier about life. He hears Beth complaining about how she can't really play the family piano because it's out of tune and bad because, in case you forgot, they're poor. And old Mr. Lawrence comes over and is just like, gosh, it sure is sad that I have this kick-ass piano at my house and no one around to play it. And I'm sure you can extrapolate what happens next. The piano. The piano yeah beth plays the piano and it's lovely and we learned that old mr lawrence used to hate music because of his dead ch- children or whatever but now he loves it when beth plays it and she makes him some slippers and he gives her the piano and oh
1: now he slips her the piano
0: no oh, uh. but then amy is sad can, can you guess why amy's sad
1: she don't got the piano no more
0: no beth was the one who got the piano
1: all right so amy don't got amy no
0: amy didn't want a piano yeah, uh, you sure? Yes, Amy's not sad about the piano. She's sad because they're poor.
1: She should be used to it <laughs> I
0: know. Anyway, specifically, she's poor and can't afford to. Oh no, shit! I didn't even realize this. She can't afford to eat pickled limes with the other girls at school, which was apparently like a, a how real. I can you eat a stone, man. How can that you they eat enjoyed. a stone? That's the fruit. In case there was any confusion. They just they ate limes uh, that had been dipped in brine, which is fucking weird. Uh, but Amy wants them limes, and her sisters feel bad for her, and they give her some money. And she buys a fuck ton of pickled limes and becomes the lime queen, but won't share them with one girl who's apparently a bitch. And then rats Amy out to the teacher, who hates pickled limes, and hits Amy with a ruler and throws the limes out the window. And Amy runs home crying, and her mom decides to homeschool her. Oh! And life keeps being hard for Amy when she gets upset that Meg and Joe are going to a play without her. She whines and they're like, we don't have another ticket, like just go see it tomorrow with Beth. But Amy wants to see it now and Meg almost gives in to her because she's a pushover. But Joe's like, no, like she's being a baby, don't reward her. And they go without her. And Amy tells Joe that she'll be sorry for leaving her behind. And uh, so apparently last time Amy tried to get revenge on Joe, she did this by like dumping her clothes all over the floor. But uh, nah, this time she decides to take things up a notch. You know what she does? What? She sets Joe's manuscript for her book that she's been working on for years on fire and burns it to ash. What happens? (laughs) Because she didn't get to come see a play. I was starting to get why people don't like Amy. (laughs) Look,
1: man. She sticks to her guns and her fires.
0: She lit her sister's fucking book on...
1: (laughs) Kindling. Kindling.
0: Joe stays mad at Amy, as she rightfully fucking should, and goes ice skating with Lori, and Amy tries to follow after them, but Joe is still ignoring her. And she skates after them, and oh no, the ice cracks, and Amy falls in! Eh, leave her. She burned Joe's book. This was a time before backups were a thing. It would have been handwritten, painstakingly. Let her drown. But, uh, no, they don't. They rescue Amy, they bring her home, and everything's fine, and Joe's so glad her sister's not dead that she forgives her. Aw, oh, or whatever. And then there's an entire chapter dedicated to how much the girls liked the Pickwick Papers by Charles Dickens. So, that's the thing. I don't know. Apparently, um, people used to make clubs pretending to be characters from it at the time. And I guess much like Pickled Limes, you just kind of had to be there. And then summer happens and the girls all learn that housework is good and they hang out with Lori and they talk about their castles in the air, their wide-eyed dreams, like how Joe wants to be a famous writer, how Meg wants some rich man's dick, and how Lori wants to be a musician and Amy wants to go to Rome and be an artist and Beth just wants to stay home and do chores because Beth is a buzzkill. Blah blah blah, autumn comes, Joe writes some stories, Meg is still sad about being poor because that's literally always what she's sad about. Then they get a telegram that their dad is sick and, you were talking about before, Joe cuts all her hair off and sells it so that they can give marmermer money and she could go see their dad and then everyone cries. So there was actually, she did cut all of her hair
1: off. Oh, it'll grow back. What's the big deal?
0: Well, everyone cries because of this this act of of selflessness and also that they they think their dad might die. The girls try to be good while their mom is gone, but eventually get all lazy and shit. Except for Beth, who literally does all their chores and also keeps helping out with that one poor family from before, the Hummels. And she asks her sisters for help, and they're like, no. And Beth's like, seriously guys, like, I'm really tired. I don't feel so good. I've been helping the Hummels with their sick baby for like a week now. Like, can you please give me a fucking hand? And they're like, eh, no. So Beth goes back to the Hummels and their baby literally dies in her arms of scarlet fever. And then Beth gets scarlet fever and just lays around quietly on a couch because she doesn't want to be a bother. Way to be good sisters, guys. Jesus Christ. And Beth gets worse and worse while their mom is still out staying with their sick dad. And things are looking pretty grim, but I'm sure everything will work out. And they'll all hug and cry and we'll go, aww. Aw. And sure enough, Marmee comes home and just in time, Beth starts to get better. In the meantime, Meg has been seeing a tutor named John Brooke. And I don't mean for history lessons. Eh.
1: Talk about a skin flute?
0: Yes. She wants that dick. Joe sees the two falling in love with each other and gets mad and is like, I wish I could marry you, Meg, because then you wouldn't leave this family. And uh, that's kind of cute, I guess, when like a four-year-old says it. But it's pretty fucking weird when a 16-year-old says it to her 17-year-old sister. Just uh, keeping it in the family, you know? It happens. That can't be your go-to for everything. So that's happening.
1: (laughs) See? It's happening. (laughs) Yeah,
0: because it happens. It (laughs) happens. And meanwhile, Beth is slowly getting better and their dad is supposed to come home soon. Yay! Yay, Beth. And just like that, it's Christmas again. And this time they actually get real gifts, except Beth is still like, oh, but all I really want is father to be back. And everyone's like, Jesus, Beth, this again? Except who should walk through the front door but?
1: Santa Claus. No. Jesus. That
0: would be sort of terrifying.
1: No. Dad. Sort of sort of
0: meg's boyfriend john brooke that fine piece of ass and he also has the girl's dad with him he's he's there too john proposes to meg and she's like oh i don't know i'm I'm kind of young maybe in three years when i'm 20 and he says he'll wait for her three years pass and i assume this is where the part one you know that that was where they s- split it and then we get into good wives territory So. It's three years later, the civil war is over, dad's home full-time, Meg is practicing being a good little housewife, Joe's writing for a newspaper, and also taking care of Beth, who has apparently been sick for three fucking years running! Between you and me, I think she might be milking it a little. Meg gets married, and Lori tries very hard to flirt with Joe before the wedding, telling her that she'll be next to get married, and Joe makes it fairly clear that she'd rather chew her toes off than get married, but I guess we'll see! Jo writes a novel and gets paid for writing sensational and salacious stories and is psyched that she can help provide for her family this way. But her dad disapproves, because he's a fucking prissy-ass killjoy who's probably feeling insecure because he lost all the family's money doing something or other. Maybe we'll find out someday. Except no, we won't. Kind of sounds like another father who was bitter about not being able to provide for his family.
1: Oh. What a shot across the bow you're taking.
0: To Louisa May Alcott's father? Yep. Yeah. I'm I'm calling him out. I'm dragging him. I'm reading him for filth.
1: Don't add him.
0: <laughs> Meg gives birth to twins, and they named him- You did? Me... I have been saying the character name Meg like 12 times now, and now you want to do this.
1: Oh, you gave birth to twins. Stop. Before, you are just being boring old Meg. <laughs>
0: She gives birth to twins, and her and John name them after themselves, because of course they fucking do. And Amy gets to go to Europe with their aunt, where she will try to achieve her dream of doing art things. And Lori keeps trying to win Joe over to having sexy feelings for him. She responds to this by moving to New York City. (laughs) I don't know how much clearer you can be about your feelings than that. Like, hey, I kind of really like you a lot. I'm going to New York, bye. Meanwhile, Beth is sad. Shocker. Because she's a grown 18-year-old lady, but... You know, she can't do anything. Cause she's always sick. Because lest we forget, her sisters fucked her over by letting her get scarlet fever from a dead baby when she was 13. But whatever, Joe is having exciting New York adventures. Like falling in love with a 40 year old German professor named Mr. Bear. We're told he's not very hot. But he's got good teeth. And he likes kids. And these are very weird, disparate details. She mends his socks, he teaches her German, and they fall in love. And it's totally not weird that he's 40 and she's 20 and I was rooting for you, Joe! We were all rooting for you! Traitor. And then she comes home for Lori's graduation from college. And he proposes and says that he's loved her since he first met her. And she breaks his heart and says no and that they're just not suited for each other. And does not mention the 40-year-old German man she apparently wants to bone down leaves that out
1: yeah yeah
0: and laurie is so upset he jumps in a boat and angrily rows across a lake which is the best mental image ever <laughs> he's just like i'm so full of feelings and just angrily rows this boat <laughs> row away the pain laurie row away the pain Beth continues to be sad and upset, and Joe thinks it's because Beth had been in love with Lori, and that Lori has just, you know, confessed his love for Joe, but, uh, hey, guess what, Joe? Not everything revolves around you. Beth isn't sad that Lori loves Joe and not her. She's sad because she's dying. Whoops. (laughs) But that's depressing. So instead, we take a detour to Europe, where Lori is making like Mr. Rochester and banging his way across the continent to try and be less sad. He runs into Amy, who's still fucking around there, sketching and stuff and after some back and forth he decides that one March sister is as good as another and Amy and Lori become engaged and then Beth fucking dies and everyone is sad because Beth really was the only one who ever did any work around the house even though she was sick for like six years of her life RIP Beth you left the house like twice Joe hangs out with Meg and Meg pressures her to get married because it would make her more feminine and Joe's like, yeah, okay, I mean, you're married, Amy's engaged, I guess I'm doing this now. The other now. one's dead. Beth's dead, so... <laughs> and uh, Mr. Bear conveniently shows up in town and awkwardly courts her, and no one seems to find this weird or creepy, I guess,
1: although... They met him at build bear
0: Um... <laughs> Build a German professor. Joe is like 25 at this point because time is amorphous and fluid in Little Women Land. So, I mean, like, she's an adult and she can make her own adult choices, but this guy is still 20 years older than her and that's gross. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No. But they love each other, I guess, and uh, the book ends with everyone gathered together several years later. Marmy and Dirty, Meg and John and their kids, Amy and Lori and their kids... And Joe and her gross old German man and their kids. They talk about their big castle-in-the-air dreams and how they're all disgustingly happy and domestic. And Marmageddon says that she could never wish a greater happiness for her daughters than what they already have.
1: Aww. Her imagination's pretty small.
0: And everyone's happy. Except Beth, who's dead. (laughs) The edge. She's there, <laughs> the edge of the
1: cloud, looking down, you know, peering over it, just smiling to herself.
0: And uh, yeah, that's that's Little Women. After Little Women's wild success, Alcott followed it up with more books in the Little Women verse, including the creatively titled Little Men, and then Joe's Boys. It has been adapted for all the things that you would think: stage play, musical, opera, TV, movies. And uh, movie movies, including one in 1933 that starred Katherine Hepburn as Joe, and no other names that I recognized. The one that most people think of, the one that I think of, in uh, 1994 that starred baby versions of all your Hollywood faves, including Winona Ryder as Joe, Kirsten Dunst as Amy, Claire Danes as Beth, Christian Bale as Laurie, and then Susan Sarandon as Marmee, and Gabriel Byrne as gross old German man Winona Ryder marries. Uh, Gabriel Byrne is the guy from The Usual Suspects who is not Kevin Spacey or Benicio Del Toro. He's also just, just not a good-looking guy. Not not even a little...
1: Kaiser Soze. <laughs> there was a movie that came out... Yeah, I went to Skokie, Illinois once. Barbershop, Barbershop Quartet. Quartet yeah. Those
0: guys in Skokie, Illinois. See, the problem is I can't think of that scene without thinking of uh, the Leslie Nielsen parody movie Wrongfully Accused, where he, they try to do the Kaiser Soze scene <laughs> But there's only, like, really stupid shit behind him. He's like, yeah, I got a meeting with a couple of husky jerks over at Timberdoodle. And he's like, I have to go now. I have a meeting in the men's room. (laughs) (laughs) Wrongfully accused is a really funny, stupid movie, and you all should go see it. If I go see it, I mean, you know, it's probably on, like, Netflix or some shit.
1: See, that's not the scene I remember. I remember the one that's making fun of Fugitive.
0: It makes fun of a lot of movies, which which, which, would Fugitive
1: bit that he's running down the pipe and he gets to the end like does he like, surf off the end of it no
0: he does like a like the how the salmon swim up against <laughs> the current <laughs> leslie nielsen was a comedy treasure <laughs> and the world is a darker place without him what do you mean he died a while ago what do you mean he, he died like, oh god like some years ago oh
1: no Oh, God.
0: (laughs) Well, if it makes you feel better, we go watch Wrongfully Accused after this. Oh, God. And then also the fugitive. Instead of the one-armed man, the guy's leg pops off and it's like a sniper rifle.
1: (laughs) It's a good movie. Um, Look, it's no uh, Dracula Dead and Loving It.
0: No, it might not be as funny as Dracula Dead and Loving It, but it is pretty good. Leslie Nielsen, man, just undervalued. There is a movie that just came out this year. Actually, uh, that was an updated, modern take on Little Women that starred no one I know, and was apparently trash. We saw one trailer for it, or maybe maybe that was when I went and saw that movie alone. I don't know if you were there when I saw that trailer. I remember this. Okay, I saw one trailer for it once uh, when I went to go see The House of the Clock and its walls. And apparently, it's just a garbage film. Next year, because apparently now is just the time of the Little Women. There's going to be another one. This one directed by Greta Gerwig, who we both love because we're white and basic. There's not a full cast list, but uh, it's set to star Saoirse Ronan as Joe, Timothy Chalamet, aka the Call Me By Your Name boy, as Laurie. So basically just the same two that she had together in the other movie she directed, Lady Bird. It's just like, alright, you guys are in this one now. Uh, Hermione Granger as Meg, Laura Dern as Marmee, and Bob Odenkirk, aka Saul Goodman, as someone. It's not listed, but hopefully, Mister Bear, the German professor. I mean, you know, we can uh, we can dream, right? You build a castle in the air on that one.
1: Gonna give her the old <laughs> Cleveland special. No,
0: no, it was uh, the Chicago sunroof. Yeah, the <laughs> <be your> old <laughs> Chicago sunroof. So we've reached that part of the show now, where we do the thing.
1: Gonna talk about Mike Ditka,
0: which we didn't know where we don't talk about Mike Ditka is a thing we, we kind of haven't done in a while because of all the Halloween stuff. So hey, RJ,
1: that's my name.
0: Little women. I love them. (laughs) Uh, Good or bad?
1: I love my little women. Like I love my coffee.
0: You don't like coffee at all.
1: Take from that (laughs) what you will. I see. Nah, little women. Doesn't speak to me. Joe's cool. Joe is cool. The CU went on for too long. Should have ended it here.
0: Did you read any of the other little women books?
1: (laughs) Too long. So you
0: don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. Five.
1: I read enough online. These people's lives weren't that interesting beyond the first book.
0: Well, I mean, that was the whole point is that they—they they, it was realism. They didn't have super interesting lives because no one's life, no normal person's life is really interesting except to like themselves, which is why I guess people read it and were like, this is so hashtag relatable. I know that feel.
1: Your final verdict? Important for a demographic that's not RJ. Fair enough. Hey, Megan. Yeah, RJ. Little women with a Y. Yeah. Good, bad, one bite. Everybody knows the rules. <laughs> no Everybody one, knows the rules. No one, one knows what you're referencing. One bite. Every-
0: I mean, I love women of all shapes and sizes.
1: All right. Large, large
0: women, little women, tall women, small women. All, all women are beautiful and wonderful. But Jesus, I did not expect the book, Little Women, to, to be such a slog or test me in this way damn, it's a book where a lot of inconsequential shit happens, and I get that that's the point. I get why it's important. Like, nothing like this existed before. There was nothing for... You know, girls and shit, and if I'd read this as a kid, I probably would have been more into it. Like, I think I still would have found a lot of it annoying, but I definitely would have identified with Joe pretty hard, and probably also had a crush on her, and Lori. But instead, I'm reading it as an adult, and so I'm torn between, like, appreciating the historical, contextual importance of the book, but also, Jesus Fuck, it was like a Civil War-era version of Full House. And there wasn't even an Uncle Joey it's just liven things up. It was just the end of every Full House episode, where they learn a lesson and they hug. And, and then, you know what? They all end up married and with kids. Or dead. It's fine, I guess. This is an important book. I did not like it very much. And that'll about do it for this episode of Ono oh Lick Class. If you like the show, tell people about it. Share it. Spread it. Hurl it. Whatever means necessary. Also, you know, leave ratings for it in places and reviews for it in others. Subscribe on your podcatcher of choice which I would hope you've done already, but you know, whatever. You can follow us on Twitter at OnaLitClassPod or like us on Facebook. You can join our Facebook group and just fucking meme it out hardcore. You can also check us out at ownalickclass.tumblr.com where the fan posted a really cool supercut of some of our, our better openings.
1: A supercut of us. Yes. And I can't nail Lord. No. She's too good for me. It's true.
0: You can pledge to us at patreon.com slash onolickclass, and you can vote on future episodes, and you can get all kinds of cool swag and prizes, and also access to bonus content. You know, if you like us, but you're you're not big on commitment, you're like one of those millennials who's scared to put a label on things, uh, you can just, you know, throw us a buck by hitting the donate button at the top of our website at onolickclass.com.
1: Hit that dono button. Hit that dono button, yo! Thumb up, likes, likes, donuts. (laughs)
0: Smash that motherfucking like button. And so, uh, yeah, the next episode will be on November 29th. And uh, in the meantime, send us your questions to onolickclass at gmail.com. And until then, I'm Megan.
1: I'm RJ. Have a happy Thanksgiving.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I won't now. Maybe I was gonna before But but now I'm I'm making he's RJ. There's a turkey having a fucking epileptic stroke in the room. We love you. Bye.
1: Hey, this is crazy, and
0: I just met you. Well, I've known you since we were slightly younger. I'm moving to New York City to be a writer. This this isn't how the song goes. It's very bad.